Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Pat Salber, and I'm doing my uh, monthly podcast with American Journal of Managed Care. And we have a really exciting topic today. We're going to talk about climate change and health. Um, it's my pleasure to welcome Georges Benjamin, who's the executive director of the American Public Health Association, a former emergency physician, and if I can add also, an old friend. We used to be up to some mischief when we were both uh, working with the American College of Emergency Physicians. And the reason why we're talking to Georges today is that he was involved in putting on an incredible meeting in Atlanta um, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and the topic was climate change and health. So, Georges, um, can you tell us how exactly this meeting came about and what was your role and the APH's role in making it possible to have this meeting? Well, well thank you, Pat. You know, we were, we were one of several public health groups that had um, collaborated with the Center for Disease Control and Prevention for them to have a uh, climate change meeting um, very much focused on the public health community. And um, for a variety of reasons, that meeting um, was was canceled. You know, it, there was a lot of concern when the new administration came in uh, about their view on climate change and health, and they felt that it's probably not a meeting they should have right after, you know, three weeks after the inauguration. Um, so with that in mind, um, we all were kicking around ideas on how we could make sure this meeting did happen. And literally, uh, I was standing at my, you know, my desk, and my phone rang, and it was Vice President Gore on the other end of the line, and he had been the keynote speaker at the original meeting, and he basically um, felt that we needed to, you know, move this meeting on right now, uh, and he and I talked about about it a bit, and to make a long story short, uh, uh, we agreed that we ought to try to pull off something on the original dates, which was frankly about three weeks later, uh, and we did. Well, I had a chance to attend, and I have to say it was a very impressive meeting, and uh, uh, kudos to everyone involved for being able to pull off such a complex meeting with such high-powered speakers uh, in such a short period of time. Um, So it was at the Carter Center, and uh, uh, there was also some funding, my understanding is, from Ted Turner or the Turner Foundation as well. So lots of celebrities interested in uh, climate change, and um, but I don't think people have actually talked much about climate change and health before. And it was interesting to me, Georgia, said in your introductory remarks, you talked about climate change as an issue of social justice. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, the, the, the challenge we have with climate change is that, um, uh, at least until fairly recently, most of the um, things that people have been doing that have caused our climate to change um, have been from the wealthier countries. And the impact, of course, has been on the poorer countries. In addition, the people who are least likely uh, to be able to recover from some of the significant impacts of climate change uh, are our underserved communities. So if you think about it, um, floods, hurricanes, um, wildfires, when those hit communities, um, that are underserved, they're not as resilient as our well-to-do communities, and they don't recover as well from it. So from that perspective, thinking about this as one in which uh, it's around social justice and making sure that 
everybody in our community has an opportunity to thrive is a very important concept. And so when you talk about it as being, um, it's almost like the wealthier countries, the westernized countries versus the poor countries, are there also social justice issues within a country, for example, between, you know, our wealthier communities and our poor communities? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, think, think about this. You know, we know that we have, we, we're very much concerned about our farmers in, in, in America. Just focus just on America for now. Uh, imagine the fact that we have lots and lots of farmers. Um, you know, think of those, the, the, the small underserved farmers. Now, we have a lot of these big farms, but we still have a fair number of, of smaller farms in this country, and they absolutely uh, are living paycheck to paycheck. And when something bad happens, uh, they just don't recover from that. Well, I did find it pretty ironic that the week that uh, I was attending the meeting um, and the meeting day itself was Environmental Justice Day. And during that week, um, we had the nomination and I believe the confirmation of Scott Pruitt, who as the, um, as the next administrator of the EPA, the Environmental Protection Association, and he's an individual who, who has sued the EPA 14 times. And in addition to that event taking place, there was also a bill that was introduced into the House of Representatives to abolish the agency altogether. And although a lot of people think that's unlikely to happen, just yesterday, President Trump released a budget outline that calls for sharp cuts in the EPA. So, Georges, how important is the EPA in moving the needle on climate change? And what do you think will happen if, if in actual fact, the agency is severely weakened or abolished? Thank you, Pat. Let me put that in the context of um, what we believe. I think most scientists believe as the reason that people are now living uh, into their 80s and 90s versus their 20s and 30s today. Um, the vast majority of that improvement in life has been due to uh, social conditions. A large percentage of that is improvements in the environment. You know, you, you go to the movies today um, and you get the realism of your of your TV movies and they show you what water used to look like that people used to drink. It was not quite pleasant even to look at more or less smell or drink. Uh, we, we have clean water. The fact that in most places in this country, either because you have um, good clean well water or you or you're hooked up to a public you know, utility, you can just cut on your water and you can get clean, usually safe drinking water each and every day. So making sure the water is safe to drink, the, the air is safe to breathe, uh, is a core function of the Environmental Protection Agency, which is uh, a fundamentally a public health agency. And, you know, the truth is that if you don't um, have that agency, we're going to go back to times in which uh, people have to take grit out of their teeth because the air is not safe to breathe. And um, challenges like we just saw in Flint, Michigan, um, while there was clearly a failure there, uh, but the system is in place, theoretically, to make sure that the water is safe to drink. Uh, if you don't have an environmental protection agency, both at the federal level, state level, and the local level, it is a partnership between all three levels, um, it just doesn't work. And people will get sicker, and they'll die prematurely. So it's amazing to me that this issue has become so politicized 
in the United States. Um, just a couple of years ago, the Miami Herald reported that officials in the Florida Department of Environmental Protection, the state agency, were ordered not to use the words, the terms climate change or global warming, warming or sustainability in any government communications, emails, or reports. I mean, it's just amazing. Um, why do you think this has gotten so politicized? What's underlying the division between the climate change believers and the climate change skeptics? Yeah, and you know, what do you think we can do about it? It's a shame it's gotten to that point. Um, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, these folks are, are messaging. Um, they're trying to do this in some ways for political reasons. You know, they've got a political future. They're trying to speak to a particular base of individuals, um, to which, by the way, that they have, in effect, given false information and gotten people to believe things that aren't true. Uh, and yet then they take those falsehoods and they try to, to build those into uh, really terrible communications messages. Uh, you know, the, whether you call it uh, global warming or you call it climate change um, uh, or, or whatever, um, the climate is changing. Um, our health is being impacted by that. And it is just, you know, um, wrong to, to not allow public officials uh, to use the, the words that resonate well and make people understand what you're talking about. Uh, it's just, it's like um, burning books. It's just, you know, taking us back to an age in which uh, government is um, uh, not allowing people to adequately communicate. You know, um, there was a time when uh, we, would, we would call that kind of thing government censorship, and we as a nation would not tolerate it. And I yeah, hope we haven't, we haven't moved past that. I hope not either. Uh, I mean, it's interesting that we've gotten to a point, and I'm not going to dwell on this, but, uh, you know, everybody's talking about fake news. And the question is, wh which part of the news is fake and which isn't? It's become <laughs> very blurry, I think, in the minds of a lot of people. But I want to now uh, change our focus, because this meeting wasn't just about climate change. This meeting was about climate change and how climate change is impacting our health now. Um, so one of the questions I have before we delve into the different health impacts is, is, do you think that focusing on the health impacts as opposed to what one of the speakers said at, at the meeting, instead of focusing, focusing on uh, plants and penguins and polar bears, because <laughs> some people don't care about those things, uh, but almost everybody cares about their health. Do you think that that changing the focus to health will allow us to find enough common ground that we can actually move the needle? I think so, because it does two things. Number one, when you're talking about um, environmental conditions, um, you're focusing on plants and, and animals and things like that, um, there's a remoteness to that. When you talk about your health, it's very, very personal. So if it's not personal to you, it's personal to your family members, um, and and your neighbors. The other thing is it makes it current. We know that uh, we're having health impacts right now. Uh, and while we certainly also know there are environmental impacts that are, that are happening right now, um, sometimes people can't see those, or they cannot figure out how to connect the dots to those. And so your health is something that you can, you can think about each and every day. Think about the fact that over the summer, then every time we have a cold red day, 
Um, now, that, that, that's due to a variety of things, but climate change is part of that. And that's an opportunity to talk about that and help people connect the dots between their health, their health, personal health and well-being uh, and the environmental conditions that are around them. So, George, just make this real for us. What, what are some of the specific um, important health impacts that we're already seeing right now because of climate change? Certainly increases in asthma attacks, um, increases in attacks of, for people with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, um, more heart attacks, um, heat waves, and all the impact uh, from heat waves. Uh, it affects um, infant mortality. You know, while it doesn't cause some of the vector-borne diseases, you know, um, dengue, Zika, West Nile virus, it does allow those, those viruses to thrive and the vectors that carry them to thrive in, in parts of the country uh, where we didn't see it before. So, and from infectious diseases to um, respiratory and cardiovascular diseases, uh, and just think about injury. So I'm going back to our, our days in emergency medicine, uh, thinking about all the terrible things that happen when you get prolonged heat waves, severe storms, um, or, um, you know, and that's, both rain and snow uh, are all things that we need to be concerned about. Just think about the, the number of wildfires we've had uh, in the country um, and what that impact that has been, not just locally where the fire is, um, but the last wildfire we had uh, in uh, Southern California, uh, you had those fumes uh, and that smoke impacting people um, in the urban centers uh, right next to the water. And so um, how should we be talking about this with each other and our, and our patients and with the press and the public at large? You had a panel at the end of the meeting um, that was focused on messaging around this. Any, any particular points you'd like to make about that? I, I think the messages, of course, have to be simple um, and clear and consistent. So that is telling people uh, that climate change um, is real, that most, you know, 90-some percent of scientists uh, have confirmed that and believe that climate change is real. That's message number one. Uh, message number two uh, is that it does impact our health. And then talk, of course, um, to their patients about um, how it's impacting their health each and every day. And, of course, doing that in a manner to help them um, take care of their disease processes. So those patients who have heart disease and lung disease, um, who are getting pregnant. Um, if you have a senior who may be impacted from uh, a prolonged heat wave, talking to their patients uh, to help them and their families directly around their health. Uh, and then I think the third message, which I think is an important message, is that there's something you can do about it and something you can do about it right now. Uh, this is not one of these things where everybody doesn't play a role. Uh, and that means things that they can do themselves to, quote, unquote, reduce their carbon footprint. Uh, that means, you know, walking more, biking more, driving their car less. Uh, that means, which are also, by the way, healthy for them. Uh, that means doing things to um, conserve their use of electricity, um, you know, moving to um, light bulbs uh, that um, um, are, appropriately, uh, are appropriate to um, reducing energy use. Uh, that means... Um, buying foods closer to the food source. Uh, that means looking at your, the energy usage in your home. 
to try to improve that energy usage. So there's a range of things that people can do themselves to begin tackling this problem. Uh, and I think that's just so important for us all to do. Yeah, no, I really, I really agree. And one of the thoughts that I had as I listened to all the content at the meeting um, was there was one thing that seemed to be missing for me because uh, I live close to Silicon Valley and hang out with all the digital health people and the people that are doing big data. So I wanted to just ask you for a second how useful it would be. I know that people are combining huge big databases now where they can aggregate information on particulate matter in the air. They can, they can have information about how far your patient lives from, say, a factory that's producing toxins. Um, they can correlate it with asthma attacks. They can correlate it with so many things. Are you starting to see, Georges, that this um, that this digital health big data revolution is starting to play a role in helping to people, helping people to understand really the not just the public health impact but the personal health impact? And how would this be useful for physicians if all of a sudden a part of their EHR said, "Hey, you know what's going on with Mrs. Smith is the you know air." Air, air particulate matter's been really high over the last week. And and then you could start to have a conversation with her and then perhaps be able to motivate some of those personal personal behaviors. You know, that that's an important point. So, you know, there is a movement which was moved by the Affordable Care Act in particular to begin looking at the social determinants of health and trying to crosswalk those social determinants of health with um, um, individuals um, illnesses. So I, I've used this example. So if one pictures, um, let's let's talk about four emergency departments on a particular day. On that particular day, uh, each of the emergency departments has a small number of patients that will come in. There's their kids. They're out of school for the day because they've just got the severe asthma attacks that day. And one day it's two, and uh, the other ER it's four, and the other one is one, and and it may be three, and the other ER. Um, and, you know, no particular emergency department um, or health plan or anybody else is going to pick up that as a, as a cluster, so to speak, uh, because the numbers are so small. Uh, but let's assume that those 10 kids were out of school on a particular day and that you had a system where the school monitored that, you know, school absenteeism, reported that all of those kids were absent out of school one day. The hospitals, of course, um, because they report, you know, found these kids had asthma attacks and they treated them and, of course, were then able to send them home, fortunately. Uh, but they, they treated them and they reported that these kids all had asthma attacks on the same day. Um, they can report those to the local health department. The local health department is then able to crosswalk that data. And voila, says, oh, my God, we had 10 kids on a particular day um, who had acute asthma attacks from the same um, area. And in particular, came from the same school. And then what they would be able to do is, if that was a, a measles outbreak, we know they would do an epidemiologic assessment and try to figure out the cause. Well, we don't tend to do that for things like asthma, but let's assume we did. Uh, they do that epidemiologic assessment. They look at everything, home, they talk to the kids, they talk to their parents, they talk to the teachers, they look at the school. Uh, but at the end of the day, the source they find uh, is a school bus with a broken tailpipe. Turns out all 10 kids rode the same school bus. And so 
what do you do? You fix the tailpipe of the school bus. You go and look at all the other tailpipes uh, on the uh, transportation fleet. And of course, the hero of the day here really is the bus mechanic that fixes the uh, the tailpipes. And you know, you've now you know you've got a broken tailpipe, noxic fumes, it exacerbates their asthma. Um, but now you fix that. And what you've ultimately done using data systems across various sectors, you know, health, public health, schools, and transportation, uh, you've now fundamentally reduced um, the, the risk of those kids having asthma in that community. You've also done something around, you know, from that perspective, the social determinants, but you've also reduced the amount of toxic fumes that are entering the environment, a la you've done something at some, at some level about climate change. So, you know, there's an example of the co-benefits for health, climate, uh, and, um, you know, actually reducing healthcare costs uh, because those kids no longer need to go to the hospital emergency department acutely uh, for their asthma attacks. And those are the kinds of things we're hoping to see more of um, crosswalking data with, um, with our clinical systems and our social services. Yeah. It's a, it's a great example, Georges, and it, and, it, and it reminds me of how often I've thought one of the problems that we have um, in the U.S., maybe in the world, is that we've created two separate systems. There's the world you hang out in, which is the public health system, and the world that we used to hang out, which is the personal health system, and they've been, and they've been siloed. And if you could start to put them together like we used to a long time ago, um, uh, that we could come up with some very powerful solutions that um, where public health and personal health are informing each other through this vehicle of, of data collection, of, um, of big data analytics, and, um, and crosswalking, really, the approaches of both systems. So um, I hope that that happens. Um, I wanted to kind of wrap up by saying, the APHA has declared 2017 the year of climate, climate change and health. Um, what does that mean and, and what activities do you have planned and how can our, um, how can our listeners in, engage in what you, um, what, what you have coming down the pike? Well, well thank you very much. Yes, we, we've, um, we started this January um, with what we call the year of climate change and health. Uh, and the importance is that um, each and every month, uh, we will be focusing on a particular um, um, area um, of, of climate change. Uh, and that f to that end, you know, the first month was kind of an introductory month to kind of introduce the topic. February is climate justice and health. Uh, March is clean energy. Uh, April is around transportation and healthy communities. May is around air quality, respiratory conditions, and cardiovascular health. June is vector-borne diseases. July is around agriculture, food safety. Uh, August is around water quality. September is extreme weather. October is around vulnerable populations with particular focus on kids. November, we want to recognize the tribal and endogenous health um, of those populations in our country. And in December, they'll look more acutely at co-benefits. So if people would go to the APHA website at um, APHA.org, um, and then, you know, type in climate change and health. You can, you can look that up. You can see many things that we're doing uh, around climate change. And in fact, today, uh, we're having a, a big uh, webinar um, on climate and health uh, and climate justice. 
and that of course will ultimately be on our website so people can can see that they can go to our website and see the actual meeting that you and i were at pat uh, right now it's kind of eight hours of, of watching but but we hope to break that up so that people can kind of pick and choose the things that they want to watch but we have a whole website of things to do and over this year we're going to be doing several things as i said under those themes uh, and then that's going to be the capstone event will be our annual meeting this november in atlanta um, november 4th through 8th where we um the theme of that meeting is creating the healthiest nation climate changes health and we're hoping to bring 13,000 of your closest friends to town uh, to look at the best science that's available and to, to educate one another about what we can do. Well, that's fantastic. It's a, it's a big job, but it's a big problem. I'm delighted to be able to catch up with you on this, and thank you very much for helping me to attend the meeting in Atlanta, and for sure I'll be there um, at the next meeting in Atlanta. So thank you very much, Georges. Um, this has been a great conversation, and I want to encourage uh, everybody out there who's listening to go to the APHA website, take a look at the videos from the meeting that we just had. Um, actually, I did spend a lot of time looking at them, even though I was there, because there was so much content um, that you had to look at it again and, and again. So thanks, Georges, and we wish you good luck with all of these events, and uh, anything that we can do to help, just let us know. Thank you very much. That's great. Thank you.